0: Jonathan Boyd, fascinating, fascinating man, he's a, he's a trained chef, but um, he had to remove himself from the life, it was very long hours, 89, 80 to 90 hours a week, 14 hour days, was making great money, but he uh, was not happy, we see this often. We're, we're in a career and we're making really good money, but we're, we're depressed and uh, we're able to afford things, but um, we really can't enjoy them because we're away from our family. He did a very bold thing. He moved completely to a different job, still similar in the same p- profession, uh, but he moved to a different job. He has a farm now with his family and in, in, uh, near Jackson, Mississippi. We talk a lot about You know i'm always fascinated with fascinated with chefs uh and 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 what they do but now he's decided to completely take it over uh go to this new job which is really 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 interesting and he does a a podcast now with his brother which is uh bodacious life and he follows the four excuse me the five f's it's really interesting the way him and his brother kind of bring it all together and faith finance family fun and freedom are kind of his core values um you know i always thought by the way freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose but it's really interesting what uh you know his perspective is on it and i really enjoyed my this conversation with uh, with jonathan boyd i think you will as well thanks for listening hi i'm joey pins People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born, next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change, discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life. Faith, how did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them? Hopefully, it all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline, I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline, our podcast mission how do we use discipline to better ourselves? and society. Join me please as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision growth through learning from others. Joey Pins discipline conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us please. Thank you for consideration. Jonathan Boyd, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. So, Why leave the, the, what I consider one of the greatest arts, you know, one of the greatest careers, one of the greatest arts in the world being a chef. Why, how, how has it gotten you sour? So, you know, to, to get up to the, uh, you know, the
1: upper upper echelon of chefdom, there's a lot of years of working in the trenches and slogging it through. And, you know, at first, you know, that's, you know, you have this desire, this passion, of course, to do something that's really great. And then, obviously, there's the other side of it where you're like, "Hey, I really want this this money. You know, this mm. money piece of the puzzle is very important as well. And I have six kids, and I had really worked myself up to a six uh, figure job. The problem is, is I thought that by having this money and having this level of success that I would be happy. Well, I found out that. There's just really just a bunch of emptiness up there at the top. Hmm. Yes, money is great. And yes, money does solve a lot of problems, but it doesn't necessarily make you feel good inside. So I'm, I've am i been on an eighth-month quest to, I guess, right my wrongs a little bit in my my personal life. And yeah, I I left my, my fancy-schmancy restaurant, and I took on a corporate role with a sales company. And from there, I've been able to... Uh, it was a big pay cut, about uh, about $15,000 pay cut. Wow. But now I have time for my family. Um, you know, I've just been able to enjoy podcasting and do all the things that I like to do. And, you know, I always tell people that, yes, money is super important and it's worth, you know, it goes a long way. However, there is one currency, one one resource that you can never purchase more of. And that's time. Mm-hmm. You only have a finite amount. And it doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Jonathan Boyd, we've got a finite amount of time left on this planet. And I feel like I was wasting it.
0: And the time commitment was the biggest issue, right? You, you, you were working a lot of hours? It was 80 plus hours a week. Oh, wow. I would normally get there between 5
1: and 6 a.m., uh, make sure our executive lounge and all those things that go on the in our uh, on the top side of our property was hitting on all four cylinders. And I come downstairs, make sure that the breakfast and all that's going. And normally almost every day I had catering events going on as well. And especially during the middle of COVID, I didn't have a whole lot of team. What used to be a, a team of 25 cooks was down to about eight. So me as the chef, I had to take on a lot of that responsibility. So I'd be there at about eight in the morning. And then we just kind of roll in. We had to feed 150 employees three times a day in our employee dining room. And before you knew it, I mean, it was nine, ten o'clock at night. You roll right into dinner service and, you know, you're either putting out a banquet or you're up on the line. And, you know, when the chef's not around, the the, the team will play. So it's mm. important for the chef to kind of be there a little bit because it's it's my name on the door. So when things weren't right, You know, I know at the end of the day, it's going to look bad on me. So I was very particular about staying through the dinner rush and, you know, maybe another chef could walk away and not do that. I can't do it. It's my name on the line. I want it to be right. I want to be the leader, the tip of the spear. So I would typically hang out for that.
0: Now Jonathan, this wasn't seven days a week,
1: right? It was for, I would say I probably did 10 to 15 weeks that were like that. Most of my weeks were about six and every once in a while we'd kind of teeter into a little bit of an off season, like the back end of uh, like Memorial Day weekend here in Jackson, Mississippi is just a dead week. Colleges out of town. No one really travels for Jackson for tourism. So that's kind of a little bit of a dead period, and then the weddings start about two or three weeks later, mm. and then it just kind of starts escalating back up.
0: Couple of chef questions before we move into the podcast and, and things yeah. that you're doing now if you don't mind. Uh yeah, for sure. I mean I, I I love being a hobbyist cook, right? I mean okay. uh sugar in marinara. Oh jeez. Um
1: I don't put sugar in my tomato sauces. Look at that. Uh, One, um, I don't know if you've ever had a tomato from Crystal Springs, Mississippi, but we're actually known for our area to have really sweet tomatoes because of our soil content. Hmm. I've never heard of that thing, but growing tomatoes here, I have really sweet tomatoes and we grow about we probably grow about two to 300 pounds a year off of our, cause I live on here on a farm, on a farm. as well. Yeah, So I'm, I'm able to kind of grow my own tomato sauce and we have canned tomato sauces for days, <laughs> but no, I typically I'm, I'm simple celery, onion, carrots, uh, some kind of uh, smoked pork items. And sometimes for us here in the South, we don't always have like pancetta, but we do have like smoked hog jowls. Hmm. So I'll crisp that up in there. And then all of that gets blended together with a little bit of basil A little oregano and a little bit of thyme and maybe a little pinch of salt and pepper depending on what I got going on for that sauce.
0: Onion, garlic? So
1: celery, so mirepoix, celery, onion, carrot, Uh. and then I add garlic for sure. And then the key is that a lot of people miss on this. And um, American cuisine and Americans in general, we're very lazy about how we do spices. And Uh. I'm very guilty of it. I had some time to train with a little lady at our church who was Indian. And so she's like, no, no, no. You, you got to make sure you sweat all the spices mm-hmm. and everything in that oil before you add all your liquids. So we have a very big tendency to add everything at the end and feel like it's, we're going to be able to taste ample amount mm-hmm. So we actually end up overshooting the amount of time and dried herbs that we need. If we would, even our fresh herbs, if we would saute them in the, in the beginning and our olive oil, Will be able to add more flavor into that tomato sauce or whatever that you're working on.
0: Wow! So I'm in the Northeast, and I I only use San Marzano tomatoes, so I got to bring those in. Uh, yeah. We don't we don't the tomatoes here aren't necessarily that sweet, but they're generally acidic, and so the carrot, uh, you know, these kinds of things kind of cut that. Right. They'll definitely, because you're adding, when you
1: sweat it in the pan, I actually put a little bit of caramelization on it. Oh. So when I do that, I'm actually cooking the sugars inside uh, of those uh, of those vegetables, and that's adding sweetness as well. And there's also a, a tomato brand out there. It's kind of hard to find, but you can find them in like specifically uh, Italian retail stores. Uh, a brand that you'll see called uh, Piancon or Piancon Epicurio, those are Italian tomatoes, um, that are from the southern part of Italy. So you can kind of get some of if you can't ever find those San Marzanas, sometimes you can find those up there, especially in
0: the northeast. That's where that brand is from. Hmm. And so I, I I've been told that you 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 make the best steak possible. You you grill
1: it. <laughs> I take a lot of passion in my steak. Yeah. I get really geeky about it. Um again on my farm. I created our farm here with along with my wife and my kids, just so I can have, I feel like the best ingredients. And I, in that passion, we now have cows out on our farm. So we've got a, a certified Hereford, which I'm really excited about. I sell wow. a lot of certified Hereford. Um, of course there's a, we have a Brahma cow, Brahma cows. They're the ones that has like the big old humps on their backs, huh. Uh, what's great about them, they're technically from Africa, but we're they do really well in Mississippi. Mississippi's hot, muggy. It's like Central Africa. There's mm. no breeze here. It's like Satan's armpit hot out here. Ooh. It's it's nuts. It's really hot here. So to have an animal like that that's not going to be phased by, it's great. And then we have uh, I an mean, Angus cow out there as well. So we're kind of dabbling with it a little bit, and I got really down the, the rabbit hole of how am I going to make the best day? It's a three-year investment, mind you, whenever wow. you get a cow. People don't realize that it. it's three years you got to hold really? on to this cow and, and grow it and you know treat it right, make sure it's got the right pasture, and you know, we're gonna finish it on grain. Our first one will go to butcher this uh this winter. But I, I love my steaks. I can't I can't be a vegan, you know. Shout out to everyone who can.
0: I, I I have appreciation for you, but I am a meat eater. Yeah, so am I, so am I. I just uh I try to limit my red meat, but I tell you, um, you know, I, 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 I love hamburgers. I love steak. I love, you know, I, I cook a lot of chicken. Uh, but so what are, what's the common mistake people make when cooking steaks at home? Um, they're either,
1: uh, kind of a couple things. One, they don't understand the branding and quality that goes behind steaks mm. you need to make sure that you're getting a quality steak. That's something that we kind of miss out on there's, you know, we kind of roll into a quick grocery store, but we don't ask questions on, is it choice? Is it certified Hereford or certified Angus? Is it prime? You know, the cheaper that meat, typically, you can just go ahead and know that those are going to be the more expensive cuts. Mm. So when you're going into a program and it's not a certified Angus or a certified Hereford, you'll have what's called, uh, sometimes they call them like legacy steaks, meaning that that could be a bull, that could be, or a cow over 30 months old. So you don't know what you're going to get in that steak. So yes, sometimes you might get a cow that is literally 10 days past the 30 month mark, but it's got to be considered into that legacy line. Um, Or, you know, you could get a eight year old bull that is going to be like chewing on a boot Hmm. and that kind of gets mixed in with that. So go to your local butcher. I always recommend going to a butcher shop over Mm -hmm. your uh, larger chains And and in that process as well, the next thing is like just knowing how to cook it. Uh, Never cook it from uh, ice cold. You're going to want to bring it out at room temperature. Let it season up. Let it sit there. It's going to absorb some of that salt. And then the next part is just understanding that you need to sear that steak. right? Whether it's on the grill. I do mine in a cast iron. I love mine done in a cast iron. And then so how I do mine is because I work for basically one of the prime things that I do now with my new job is I basically showcase and do uh, culinary demos for uh, representing different brands of beef. So that's something mm-hmm. that I do a lot of. And one of the things, ways that I like to do it is, is basically I'll have my meat. I'm going to let that sit out for at least 45 minutes. I've got my salt, black pepper. If you got a good steak, you don't need to add blackening seasoning or whatever else to it. Just salt and my crack, fresh cracked black pepper. I'm going to let it sit. And then after about 45 minutes, I'm going to get a nice, cast iron i'm going to get that thing all the way to um smoke point meaning that when i add oil the oil immediately is going to start to smoke Hmm. and i'm going to put my steak in there i'm going to sear both sides and then i'm going to bring the heat down to about halfway and then that's when i'll add things like uh fresh thyme rosemary you know any herbs like that and then a big old chunk of butter or smoke i have a a can of Wagyu fat, smoked Wagyu fat. I'll add that in there and I'll just lather that up on top of that steak. Oh man, it's good. And then of course the last bit is, is letting it rest. Too, too many people get that steak. They throw it right on the plate and they start cutting on it. And you can't do that. All the Mm. juice will run out. You'll have a dry steak. It'll be chewy. Let the steak sit for about two or three minutes. You'll thank me. It's Mm. just a completely different steak when you let the meat rest
0: sounds wonderful sounds wonderful so tell me how you arrived to the point where you're going to leave this high paying job i mean you said you have six kids you know your wife uh the farm do you, do you talk it over with the family is it something that they come to you did was there a come to jesus moment i mean what tell me about that decision making process so it kind of came down to multiple things um so
1: i was very depressed and where I was at because I felt like I had worked to a certain point. Yes. I had all of this money. I had basically a six digit income at that. Hmm. And for a chef, that's like the Holy grail of thing to brag about, Sure, you know, and I was going through a funk is I now have all of this stuff, but none of it actually means anything. Hmm. I'm missing time with my wife. I'm missing time with my kids. And as crazy as this sounds, I'm literally driving down the road one day and I'm looking at the, the, the center median, they have like that metal divider. And I just remember a finite point one morning where I'm just kind of looking at that divider. And I'm like, you know what? I can hit that thing at 90 miles an hour and i don't ever have to deal with it again. Wow! And it just, I, I honestly, like there was a certain point where I was dead set on it and I was, I was there. And then, and as really would, God has a funny way of, or the universe or whatever you believe has a funny way of making things happen. And probably about 200 yards before I got to that point, I got a simultaneous text from my wife and my mom, both of them saying, I love you and I hope you have a better day. Wow! And it's just, that was literally the turning point of, okay, I need to figure something out. And I knew just I wasn't in a happy place. I was angry at work. I'm very laid back. If I got to yell at you, I'm not like the Gordon Ramsay type. If I mm. got to yell at you, I obviously didn't hire the right person for mm. the job. So I'll help you out. I'll I'll work beside you and I'll I'll train you. I'll give you all of that. But if I got to babysit you and I got to yell at you, then I didn't hire the right person mm. for the job. And then I found myself just losing my temper. And then and within that same week, I had just an absolute... We just had like just a good old fashioned temper tantrum as Mm. an adult. You know, you're just grabbing things, you're just throwing it. And of course, I'm having this at work, which didn't go over really well either. Not my most proud professional moment, but I was something that happened and I felt disrespected. And that was like the snapping point for Mm. me. And it was all of these things. And I, I just came home from my to my wife that day and I was like, something needs to happen. Something needs to change. I'm not happy. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like who I am. I don't act like that. And and in the process, it was probably another four months later before I found my new job. Hmm. Because I wanted to find something. I didn't want to just quit and then just try to go over to somewhere else. Because that doesn't, I've learned that when you job skip, the grass is hardly ever really greener on Mm. the other side. Mm. You need to make sure that what you're, you know, you're not leaving just for money is just your core values and what you're looking for in your lifestyle. Is it going to really match up with what's the new position that's being offered? And I wanted to make sure that I took my time and I just happened to, you know, obviously being a chef, you have a a tight relationship with the purveyors and things that provide for your restaurant, the purveyor that, you know, was honestly the best to me. Um, And I, that's the company that I just happened to strike up a conversation What's funny is, is quick side story, is that the executive chef who had my position at that hotel went to work for this distributor hmm. and then he got promoted. So he was the one who kind of made the calls like, hey, we got this position open. Would you be interested in that? So then it was like a kind of a jump over and I kind of fall leapfrogged over and, you know, it, it really worked out. I think when I sat back, I didn't rush it. I prayed on it. I didn't make a, a drastic decision right off the bat. I knew exactly what I wanted, you know, how I wanted my new lifestyle to be. And I was willing to kind of hunker down for a minute, make things happen to be able to have a lifestyle that is, that's fruitful and that's meaningful.
0: Mm. So your advice for anybody who's listening, who's unhappy in their, you know, in their job is to, to try to do it the way you did it, I would assume.
1: I mean, everybody's going to have a different you know, work situation. Right. I, I, if you're unhappy with your job and you're miserable and I was, I was in an and I was, I wasn't in a good situation. I had a boss there that was just old school, kind of that Gordon Ramsey mentality mm. of just yell, cuss, chew. He had text messaged me at like three in the morning, cussing me out. And it's just like over things. I, I honestly have nothing to do with me. I don't, I'm the chef. I don't change the the syrup bags for sodas. I can't help you. You know, that's, I'm, I'm not a food and beverage director. I'm a chef. So it was just kind of like those kinds of things that that accumulated up. But overall, I mean, if you're not happy in your position, you definitely need to decide what is happiness? What does that look like for you? And don't assume that the money is what's going to fix all of your problems. Mm. That's the first thing. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I always kind of blame it on a millennial thing, but it really is a millennial thing. You know, we were taught in a lot of ways that our status is the money that we're going to make or we're going to reach this certain education and reach this certain amount of dollars. And we're just going to be living life and we're just going to be riding around in Corvettes, Ferraris and big houses and living this great life. And you get to the top and you're like, it means nothing. Hmm. So find out what's what that does look like for you. And the lifestyle that you want to live, if you want to work during certain hours, I had a friend who was, uh, he was looking for a job because he loved fishing. He wanted a, a fishing podcast and he wanted to be able to do fishing videos on YouTube, but he wanted, basically, he needed to be off on weekends to do tournaments and he wanted to be off in the mornings to where he could go fishing every single morning to create content, to practice and do what he needed to do. And we were able to find him a great uh, nighttime job at a restaurant, hmm. and basically working in the pastry department. Hmm. And so again, he he got exactly what he wanted. The company he worked for gets exactly what they wanted in a professional pastry chef, and it all just kind of works out. Hmm. How is the the restaurant industry business? How how is it right now? It's tough. Yeah, it's tougher than ever right now. Really. The, the, the labor pool is absolutely dismal. Mm. And what happened is, is that, you know, the really good cooks during COVID, you know, basically everybody, half of us got either let go. I mean, especially if you were a good cook with a higher wage, you were the first one to get mm. cut during COVID. Mm-hmm. So basically they felt disowned by our, our industry. So a lot of them went on to work in other, in other industries. So tech, I got quite a few friends that went back to school and picked up like a little six month uh, classes on like welding. Hmm. And now they're making triple the amount of money being a welder than they would have ever been as a chef. So that's really good for them, but it left a giant hole in our, in our market for us as far as our labor goes. And then the other aspect is, is even once you finally find this you know, this magical crew of misfits who are going to work in your kitchen for you. Then you've got to be able to source good product. Mm. And that's been an issue for a lot of places Uh, where I work. We finally have gotten back on track and it it just took time, you know, to get the to get the supply chain back on. And there's still some issues that the supply chain's working on, especially getting into this holiday season. This holiday season is not going to be it's going to be interesting Hmm. for everybody to get their turkeys and hams and how all that's going to play out. And then the last part is just the money. Hmm. You know, people aren't going out in the same way that they were before and people who didn't adapt and, you know, move into a more digital model, selling more things to go. They tried to stay with a traditional model are really hurting because a Hmm. lot of people move to the, you know, the digital online ordering carryouts, you know, the industry is changing. Yeah. And if you're not adapting with it, unless you've already got a clientele of just thousands and thousands and thousands of customers, you're really shooting yourself short on what you could be. So it's it's really tough right now.
0: I've talked to a, uh, you know, a couple of restaurant owners and I've heard them say, we break even on the money. If it wasn't for the bar, we wouldn't make anything. Oh,
1: yes. Bar is... You know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. There's more expenses that comes along with that bar when you talk about your insurance. Mm. Most cities also make you pay an outrageous, like, rate just to have the bar because it costs the city money for the police. They just automatically assume that you're going to be a, a trouble establishment. Right. Um, it was $20,000 just to sell liquor in my hometown back in Georgia. Wow. Yeah. just not, You haven't sold a drink yet. You've not had the insurance. Wow. You've not bought any bottles of liquor, nothing yet, $20,000 to the city. And you still might not even get approved by the city of council. So you want to talk about, you know, really, you know, putting some faith out there is $20,000 to a city council who might not even approve your bar. Hmm. But the typically food. So let's say uh, we're buying a hamburger. When we buy a hamburger, let's say it costs us. Let's say it costs the customer $10 typically that means about $3 goes to pay for the actual food. So you think about trying to place well, next time you get that, <clears throat> excuse me, get that $10 hamburger. Think about that, that this burger bun, cheese, French fry, the ketchup, everything that you're going to have included in that meal for that $9.99 is included in basically $3. And, you know for and for liquor drinks you're looking at about 18%. Hmm. So a 80 for a $10 drink. And I I paid $10 drinks in the bars, or restaurants that I've been at. We've had plenty of drinks that were, you know, 10, 20 and then especially when you get into the wines and whiskeys and stuff sure. like that, you're looking at 30, 40, 50 just for a glass. And then again, it comes down to that's an 18%. So it's just a higher profit margin on those items. Hmm. So you
0: really got to have that to balance it one of my favorite quotes from, uh, Prince, somebody asked Prince, you know, how's the record business? And and he famously said, I'm not in the record business. I'm in the music business. So are chefs in the restaurant business or are they, are they in the cooking business? I think that's the big problem that they have to figure out.
1: Mm. <laughs> um, I like, I miss being on the line. I miss that camaraderie with my chefs. I miss that you know, it's like a band of misfits that, you know, I had a, a a Vietnamese guy named Jimmy. I had this other guy named uh, Taylor. Who's like this, I mean, classic, exactly. If you you could stereotype a hippie, you know, long hair, beard, you know, what's up, man. That was my other cook. It's just a bunch of misfits, but every day we walked in and we had each other's backs. We'd help prep for each other. And when it came to like our least favorite shift, which of course is brunch and Brunch is just the most everyone hates brunch. Wow. Every chef hates brunch. Brunch is that shift on Sunday morning. It just brings in, and this is gonna sound the wrong way because I'm a Christian, but Christians come out of church and sometimes they just don't know how to act. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. Really? You know, I I don't I don't get it. I've just I don't ever understood the reasoning of being a jerk to a complete stranger to demand. But it? typically Say it again. I'm sorry. Demanding like what? Oh, very demanding. The most modifications I could ever imagine for a plate up happen every Sunday. Everybody comes in at one time. They expect their food in eight minutes or less. And again, I'm a five diamond property. I'm making like exquisite plates and you want this in eight minutes. You got to cut me some slack. The waffle alone takes four minutes. The fried chicken takes eight minutes. So we got to, we got to, and then when you get 30 waffles at one time and you've only got two waffle irons, what are you going to do when you got, you know, wow. 30 chicken and waffles going out at the same time? So there's just, brunch is just a very difficult, difficult shift. Hmm. But, uh, but I miss, I miss being on that, that camaraderie, but I'm, I found out that I really like more being creative And going out of the box and doing new stuff and pushing myself. Hmm. My job now, I get to do a lot of consulting and I get to meet chefs from all over um, the southeast. I control uh, for my company most of, I control all of Mississippi and Louisiana for our company. And I get to travel all over my two states and help people and design menus and have fun. And sometimes it's a, a hot dog shop. And then sometimes it's a restaurant that's working on getting its Michelin star. Wow. So I really get to be creative and have fun. Hmm.
0: How much of a bother is it when people ask for the modifications in, these, in the food? It's It really just depends. Right. You know, in at the
1: beginning of the shift and there's not a lot of people there, it's really not a big deal. We love to make people happy. All right. chefs love to make people happy. That's why we're into it. There's some sort of narcissism, I think, that plays into it. <clears throat> because we like to be told how great our food right. is no chef is around who doesn't like to have his food exc- you know screamed out it's the best food in the world there's nothing that makes a chef feel better than a great review on yelp mm. or trip advisor or in a newspaper it's our favorite thing in the world but you know it's the person who comes in at seven thirty on a friday night who wants to I want my steak cut in half. I want this half cooked mid-rare. That one well done. I want my potato cut in half. This half with this and the other half with that. We want half asparagus and half green beans. And then we're going to split our side salad. You know, the <laughs> chefs are already trying to put out, you know, most nights were like a $25,000 night for us. Meaning that we're pumping out about seven dollars to $8,000 of food every hour for five straight wow. hours. So we're really hustling food into that window. And our goal is 12 minutes or less. You know, Friday nights, we kind of dabble into that 18-minute mark. But typically speaking, other than a well-done steak, I created menus that were about 12 minutes or less. Hmm. And then you just get that one person in there, and they just super modified it. The cooks just, they can't, they're so used to fast pace, and now they got to stop what they're doing and look down at this ticket. And sometimes it's so whack That it's like, it's calligraphy or, uh, you know, it's like Chinese, like, I I don't know what this means. And so then I got to find the server. And ultimately what it comes down to is it's not a big deal. What it really comes down to is it slows the service Mm -hmm. down for everybody else in the dining room. Mm -hmm. You're to, to take care of that order. You're almost sacrificing everyone else around you's experience. And that's, what's frustrating for us. We're used to a certain pace. So I know when the appetizer goes out, I've got about 10 minutes. So I'm pre firing my entrees and getting things going. Mm. That way I know when the, uh, the appetizer is done, my entrees are going to already be in the window ready to go. And you're just messing with that tempo when we're, when we're, when we're messing with that. And then again, we're affecting everyone around you. And that's always what I I don't, take a lot of pride in going out and telling customers that I'm not going to do that. I try to just educate them on why I can't do that right now. But if they hang around till after the rush and just have drinks and hang out, I'd be glad to make that for them. Mm. But at right now it's 730 on a Friday night. I can't do that
0: for yeah. you. You got to cut me some slack. How about the movement to the open kitchen? You know where where, where people's right there and they can see the the cooks yeah. cook and everything. Is that is that good for the cooks? I love it, but I'm um, patron.
1: Um, it's it's a two way street. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, how many counters you've sat at, or you know, one of the, a fun thing that we like to do is a uh, chef's tables where we literally put a a, a, sh- a group a table literally in the middle of the kitchen. Wow, and I love those. You know, you don't get anything on the menu. It's ten courses huh. of whatever the chef feels like making. I don't care what oh. you like and don't like. I'm making you 10 dishes. That You're sounds, getting it from that me. That's great. It's a lot of fun, but a lot of people don't understand how kitchens work hmm. and particularly the humor and the language that goes on uh, in a kitchen. I like to say that I'm good and like I don't, the only place I promise you that I say bad words are in a kitchen <laughs> and, and 99% of the time it's not for anything bad, right? We're just, we're just talking, we're, 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 shooting off the breeze and we're just talking smack about each other. And that's just kind of how chefs work. We're just kind of a bunch of sailors put together. And, you know, there's so a lot of people have that disconnect on that language that kind of goes on with that. We try, of course, to be like, Hey guys, you know, there's people here. We don't sit anyone. My last restaurant Estelle Um, we didn't put people at the kitchen or the chef's counter unless they specifically asked for it or they were a part of a chef's table. Outside of that, I try to keep people a little distance because, you know, when the kitchen is open and most of the kitchens I've been in have been open, there's just so much room for, uh, talk back and forth and the the cooks can get distracted. Mm. So I try to keep distance there and, you know, keep my boys on track. Make sure they're not, you know, looking at the girl on table 13, you know, just letting chefs go down the rabbit hole. We try sure. to keep it a little bit of
0: separation. Right. And then when we have that event, you know, it's, it's just always a fun time. Well, they're human after all. And yeah. And uh, so th- not only do you make this pivot to a, a different job and a, you know, it's better for you and your family, but you start a podcast with your, you know, your partner out of Atlanta, Dr. J Brodacious. And it's really cool. You go back and forth and you, uh, you, you kind of have, you, you have a spiritual slant. I love your five F's faith, finance, family, fun, and freedom. You do a really yes. good job with that, Jonathan.
1: Well, thank you so much. we're, I'm very, I'm very thankful that I get to, to podcast with my brother every week. You know, he's had, uh, two or three successful podcasts. I've had, uh, one really successful podcast called food and farm. It was about our homestead here. Hmm. And then when I went through, uh, you know, through that depression, I, I wanted to explore more and learn new things. So really the beginnings of the podcast was a whole nother podcast name, excuse me, called, um, called my what was it? Uh my my happy podcast or something like that. And it really was just a bunch of therapy sessions for me. I didn't want to pay to go to therapy or do all this stuff. So I would just have guests on who would help me in my life. And sure. I talked to everyone from a relationship, an intimacy expert, Susan Blanton, all the way to, uh, one of my favorites was Renee Cavalari. She's the author of head trash. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed having her on. And it was really about me kind of exploring who I was. And, and then it just kind of led up to my brother was working on his and it was very similar. And then I don't know, it was kind of like Batman and Robin mm. coming together. It's just, it just, we just gel really well together.
0: Yeah. You know, you kept saying brother during the podcast. I wasn't sure if you were being figurative or literal, but now I get it. It's, it's your yeah, no, brain. he is. <laughs> we don't,
1: we don't, I guess we don't necessarily always say that on the podcast. Yeah. But he, he is, he's my, my biological older brother. He yeah. was, uh, he was my, my superhero when I was little, you know, I've looked up to him. He's, You know, he's, he's, he's the best man. He's been my best friend since I was born. Hmm. And how did you arrive to the five F's, your five F's? So one of the things that we started talking to was again, just in conversations, we were like, well, what's going to be important? What's important to us? Most importantly, before we talk about podcasting or anything else, what's most important to us? What makes us tick? And then we started talking it out and it is, it is the five F's that, you know, made things work. And then that's how we kind of molded it into the podcast. The podcast originally was just us two kind of just talking together and talking about our weeks and some different things we were going through. We'd have you a know, guest or two on, but we really started molding and changing things over to this five F's format. And what it really comes down to is, you know, there's only, I don't know if you've ever read the book. Um. The Subtle Art of Not Giving an, an F. F-Word. I yeah, will say it on your it.
0: podcast. Yeah.
1: And, you know, it uh, could be quite an offensive book if yeah. you're not ready sure. for that language. Sure, But it is a book that I read, I mean, immediately when I was going through that. And basically, the, the premise of that book is you've only got so many Fs to give. Right. You know, there's so many things going on in your life. There's You're constantly getting bombarded on Instagram and Facebook and CNN, Fox News, there's all these F's that are out there in the world, and they're constantly bombarding your mind. At the end of the day, if you could only get, take with one hand <clears throat> and pick out five of those items, what are the five items that actually matter in life? And that's what we're going to focus on on our podcast.
0: And that's it. Faith, finance, family, fun and freedom. Faith is yeah. certainly a large part when you talk to your brother. I could sense it. You work with the ch- you know with the church and it's important in your life. Finance certainly you talked about it, you know, and sacrificing the big job for you know, for your happiness and your family. F- family comes next. Fun and freedom. I wonder how f- talk to me about freedom specifically. So when we talk about
1: freedom, obviously we're not just talking about good old America. Right. You know, we're talking about the freedoms from the things that might hold you back, mm. you know, and maybe that's the, maybe through you're going through a depression, maybe like many, like, uh, myself and others that are in the restaurant industry, maybe you're going through, you know, I went through an addiction in my early twenties, right. or maybe you're just, you know, you can't, you can't imagine getting up the next day. Hmm. And a lot of that is discussion is about breaking those chains and finding what's going to make you happy. We hold ourselves back too much because we try to hold ourselves sometimes to this crazy high standard that we see on Instagram and Facebook Mm -hmm. and all those different worlds. We see the success of Elon Musk and it's like, I got off the sofa today, you know? (laughs) So we, we, our brains naturally try to compare ourselves to people that we see around us and the success that others around. And we often miss that what we see on Instagram is less than 1% Hmm. of the the actuality of what happens. I'm really into homesteading and I love to watch homesteaders on YouTube. I'm addicted to several channels that are on there. Hmm. And I had a chance to meet with one of them just, just real quick, just passing through. I happened just to run into him. And one of the things I asked about is like, you guys are doing so much. You have so much success. You've got over 200,000 subscribers and you know, how are you doing all this? It's like you missed out on the three years of just absolutely failing at it. This is for every episode I post. I probably trash Hmm. And he says what you're seeing is really only the tip of the iceberg of what's actually happening. And I think that happens a lot. A lot of people talk about Elon Musk and you don't, People don't also don't understand yes Elon Musk is if not the one of the most you know richest men in the world <clears throat> but he's also has had an infinite number of failures. Yeah. You know he fails in tr- probably triple the amount of things that he has success in. Right. And we have to keep that in perspective of in our own lives as yes you know we're going to have success but we also got to fight through you know those hardships and break those chains and have mental freedom to be able to enjoy these other items.
0: Hmm. And you you had one specific uh, podcast that I really enjoyed where you talked about the power of the word yet, where you were yes. it's pretty recent. And, you know, I'm not there yet. This particular goal isn't there yet. And it's, it just talks about not not procrastinating, but setting a goal. Yes. So again, it comes down to,
1: it's okay that you are not in a place that you want to be. Hmm. I think almost everybody's in that boat. Nobody's sitting there being like, oh, well, I'm just completely happy with life and I never want it to change for the next 100 years. That's not how hu- that's not the human experience. Right. We constantly, constantly want to be working on different things. And again, when we're getting into that cross comparison of our life to someone around us, maybe it's your best friend who's now got this big house and they have this, you know. Wife who's 10 years younger than him and whatever it might be, you might have this unrealistic, you know, conversation going on. The power of yet comes down to is I have not achieved something yet. Hmm. Instead of I have not achieved, I have not achieved. How do I say this? I'll use an example for YouTube. I have not gotten 200,000 subscribers yet. yet but I'm going to do X. So what the yet and y'all there's the yet is not an excuse. I'm not having done it yet. So I'm going to put it on to uh, some timeline, some procrastination timeline that I'm never going to get to. The point is, is that there's a yet, but it's also followed by a, but with action. Hmm. What am I going to do that is going to get me into that situation? Uh, For Dr. J he is in this, uh, real estate investment program, and he's really excited about. It. He's super passionate about it. He's got me hyped on it. Uh, I'm still about two or three years out before I can kind of jump on that train as well. And he's trying to figure out his money. So money is obviously to to be able to buy homes and flip homes. You need lots of money. It takes at least twenty thirty thousand dollars for down payments. Not to mention the the costs associated with renting out and doing all of that. So he's trying to figure. He just like I do not have the money yet. But I'm going to save money by eliminating my seven dollar Starbucks that I drink mm. seven days a week. I'm going to eliminate going to. Um, he he likes to get a particular type of. Um, he likes to to have a nice beer, so he's gonna be like. Well, I'm gonna sacrifice that beer. I'm gonna sacrifice a couple things so I can have this. And again, it's about making just one percent better each right. day. It's not about people think that you got to have this giant change and all these things are going to happen. A lot of it is about just being 1% better each and every day. Mm. And that's really what yet can be for you. It's yet, but each day I'm going to do X. Mm. I'm going to schedule more time with my family. I'm going to save money by not going to Starbucks. For me, it's Chick-fil-A. I have a Chick-fil-A on my route to work. I can eat Chick Fil A seven days a week <laughs> if they had opened up on Sundays,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: and I just mm. the sweet tea absolutely out of this world, fried chicken biscuit. Come on, and I can I could literally eat there every single day, but I save twelve dollars a day that I could I was spending on my breakfast that now I'm getting to spend towards time with my kids. Mm. We went on a trip the past weekend. And, uh, went down to the Mississippi Gulf coast and enjoyed a weekend on the coast. And again, I got that experience because I was being fruitful with my yets.
0: You know, on on the, on the podcast, uh, we talk a lot about discipline. So I lost a bunch of weight. A long time ago, uh, you know, I, I started a business, tech I'm in the tech industry and I gained a bunch of weight. The doctor said, if you don't lose it, you're not gonna see your daughter graduate. You know, so that was all I needed to hear. And I just turned it around and people ask me, you know, how'd you lose all the weight? Like there's some magic, you know, some magic bullet. And I just say discipline, discipline and focus. I wonder right. how discipline plays a role in your life, Jonathan. So it does. Uh, I've, so I've been kind of
1: going through that same, uh, weight loss. I I don't like to say diets, diets make me absolutely cringe. I say an eating plan and our lifestyle plan for me, that just works a little bit better. Discipline for me, again, it comes down to those. I've not achieved something yet, but Mm. I'm going to do a, B and C. And it's, if I'm being fruitful in it, I know that I'm going to see something on the other side. I'm starting to see those benefits. Hmm. I've lost about 40 pounds over the last eight months. Uh, I was at about 300. I think I was 340 pounds. I'm now down to 285. So it's just a constant. If if I'm constantly being fruitful, and yes, I might, I might always be perfect. You know, every once in a while, I'll sneak something in, or I try to take care of myself, or you know, treat myself because. If I'm doing all this hard work, <clears throat> excuse me. If I'm being doing all this hard work, but I'm not treating myself and I'm not enjoying my life, then what's the purpose of it? Mm. But I'm seeing a benefit. I feel better uh, when I wake up. I, I pop up a little bit faster. I have gout, and uh, you know, kind of that problem with being a chef is I eat lots of rich foods all day. Right. The chef's office is almost right beside the soda machine, huh. so that's another way that I might end up indulging in something that I shouldn't be indulging in. And I just feel better when I'm being disciplined on it. And the big thing that I've been fighting my discipline on is, you know, am I working out or at least going for a walk, being active, doing something? It doesn't always have to be a walk or a jog or mm. lifting weights. It can be something active. I do lots of active things on the farm. We kind of, you know, if you've ever had to to lift 50 hay bales and go pick those up and then bring them back to the farm, put them, stack them up. Trust me, you understand that workout. Mm and uh just finding different ways to be active and not be too sedentary. Hmm.
0: Yeah, at my highest I was uh, 340 Jonathan, so uh you know, keep keep at it. I wonder so going through, you know, going through culinary school and you know, working your way up and your last job was was discipline ever viewed as a strong point in kind of as one of your as one of your skills? Did you ever look at it that way?
1: I didn't. In a lot of ways, I felt the the previous job that I had, it, it I felt like it brought me to a highest level of discipline because I had to be disciplined as far as like being the chef part of what I was doing. I was very disciplined. Hmm. Everything was very rigid. I had a very specific structure, how I wanted things to be done. I had checklists and I had, and I know if I stayed to my checklist, I was going to get done at a specific time. Everything was going to be happy. And if I stepped to that regiment, I knew everything could work. Hmm. Now, the problem is, is on the backside is I wasn't being disciplined in my own personal life. Ah. And I think that's where I failed myself, is that I was going to that soda machine way too often. You know, it's very easy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Instead of eating a salad at lunch, it was very easy to go up and make a hamburger. Right. You know, some French fries. And so what started out is me probably, I think I, when I arrived there, I was probably 300 you know, it was very easy for me to climb up to 340 pounds wow. because I was just, I mean, I was eating like an absolute slob mm. because I mean, I, I didn't care, especially once you get far into it, you're just going through the motions. You're a mindless zombie right. at a certain point. You do six months of that kind of schedule. You just start checking out on what's reality mm. and what's real world. Mm. You're just going through the motions. So again, in my business world, very disciplined. Outside of that, in my own personal life, not so much.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm i the same way. There's some things that I'm very disciplined at and there's some things I'm not. And, you know, I get a lot of pushback, Jonathan. It's like, you know, discipline isn't as important as passion or compassion or empathy. And, sure. and I And I agree with that. I don't mean to profess that I am king discipline. It's just something that I use to lose a lot of weight. Uh, and I use occasionally in some other things. So I just wonder how it is with others. And this is why I kind of keep a thread with my conversations and and bring discipline into it. What motivates you, Jonathan Boyd? Ultimately my, 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 my five F's.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I start with, uh, my faith and I, I, why we always say faith first is because, To make the other four things applicable, you have to have some kind of moral compass Hmm. that keeps those things in check. Hmm. You know, uh, faith, and it it might not necessarily be a Christian faith, but some type of morality has to hold everything together or else your version of freedom might be, you know, taking Oxycontin and Hmm. drinking beers and playing video games all day. That might be freedom to you. But if you don't have the moral compass as to what freedom looks like, from whether a faith perspective or personal, then none of the other things make sense. So I always kind of start there. And then again, I work up through my five F's and those are my things that, that motivate me. And ultimately, especially my family and kind of trying to get my time back with my family. My oldest daughter went to college last year and it absolutely just gutted my soul. Uh. The fact that, you know, she went to college before I could, <clears throat> before I could you know, make changes and spend time with her. And now granted, she went to college two years early. Wow. She went to college at 16. Wow. But I still missed out on all of those things. <clears throat> and when she went to school and I wasn't even there to really help her move in, to to help, you know, do all those things that dads are supposed to do mm. when their daughter goes to college. So a lot of, you know, my changes have been about my family, making sure that I'm getting time with them you know, today for the, you know, I got to go to a soccer game and enjoy a soccer game. I wasn't, I made sure I wasn't a coach this year, which I've, I've done in the past. I just wanted to focus on being a dad. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of projects and things going on. My wife gave me the, the the freebie that I could just stay home and work on this home renovation project. And I was like, No. The whole reason I left that job is to make sure I never miss a soccer game mm-hmm. again. So I just make it a point now. And then again it goes up to finance, making sure that I'm being disciplined in my finance and of course
0: uh uh fun and freedom. Hmm. Uh, is freedom just another word for nothing left to lose? Uh, that's just a that's a lyric from uh Jenna Shackelford. <laughs> I've heard that. I've <laughs> heard that before. Yeah. But uh, me and Bobby McGee, just a uh, uh, w- when I was r- doing some research up from you, I just found myself singing that when I kept hearing the word freedom. Uh, what, what, uh, how do you measure success, Jonathan? So
1: I'm going to measure my success by ultimately when it's my time to be put in a coffin or put underneath that slab. Hmm. My measure, of how I'm going to measure my su- success, is what I leave behind ultimately. Cause it is, it's more than a dollar bill. It's more than a big house. It's what, what did I leave with the people who are around me? Mm. How are my kids going to be when I'm gone? How are they going to be young, you know, fruitful men and women? Have I left the people, my friends? Did I leave a positive, you know, a positive legacy with those people around me to where they're like, you know, where they're going to be like, Hey, you know what? I want to be like that when, when I leave. Cause that's, And I, I leave this with like, my grandfather was that person for me. My, Mm. my grandfather passed a couple of years ago and it was just, it was just absolutely heartbreaking. I wasn't necessarily like super best friends with my grandfather. I loved him dearly, but my grandfather, he was just that kind, gentle soul who he never spoke negatively about anything. Mm. He just, he would just, he never complained. He was just a doer If something had to be done. He just did it. But he just never complained that he, he just went through his day and then we're sitting post funeral and I'm listening to all of his achievements being, you know, talked to from his colleagues and the, the, the people that he's helped and he was a pastor. So people that he's brought to the faith and you're just like, wow, man, now my grandfather brought in so much positivity, so much love, and he wasn't that person to just bring in for a big old bear hug he showed you love by action. Hmm. He helped, he would help a farmer by going out and helping him with his crop, help help an old lady build a ramp for her house after she's been paralyzed from the waist down. And even at 70 years old, he was still doing it until he, he literally fell on the job, you know, trying to help someone. And that was him being injured on that job is what ended up leading to his, uh, passing away a few months later. Hmm. But he literally got injured doing, what he basically leaving his legacy behind and what he felt was most important. He knew that being, he always told me that being Christian is not an adjective. Being Christian is a verb. Hmm. And he was always really good about making sure that him and his faith was a verb. It was never an adjective to describe him. It was a verb
0: and a lifestyle that he showed. Well, that's wonderful Sent- sentiment being Christian is a verb. Jonathan, you you're, you're, you're I, I love your story. I the idea that in depression in you know in this toxic job that you had, you're able to turn it around and do it the right way. find something else I, I can find inspiration in that and I hope others can as well. Uh, I love talking to you. how can people get in touch with you, Jonathan? So you can find us
1: on abrodaciouslife.com. And there you'll be able to find some great resources. You can learn more about myself and Dr. J. You can listen to the podcast there. Of course, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, all the all the big podcast sites. And we're also on YouTube. So not everyone listens through podcasts and yeah. uh, listens to content that way. I'm kind of the same thing. I, I listen to YouTube a good bit. So a lot of our content is cross uh, uh product over to youtube yeah so you can find us there on youtube at abrodacious life and we've got some great new content that we're working on some some cooking videos and things we got in the works just to have fun to add in with that and then um it, if you ever need a resource the always we have a great free resource for those who don't have a a journal or something that they Know, write down those goals and those things are important to you. If you subscribe to our newsletter there at abrodaciouslife.com, you can get a free newsletter and in that is a free journal download. And you could just sync that over to your iPad or print it and you can write it up. And I write in my journal every single day and it keeps me disciplined and it keeps me on
0: track. Yeah. Journaling is really, really important. And abrodacious for everyone, A-B-R-O-D-A-C-I-O-U-S. L-I-F-E. We'll make sure to put it in the show notes as well. Jonathan Boyd, thank you so much for your time. If and when I make it to, to Jackson, Mississippi, I hope we can uh, have a steak. I'll I'll buy the steak and you sure, cook. Man. You betcha, man. Come on down to the farm. We'll have a blast. I would absolutely love it. Thanks so much for your time and you be well. Thank you. You do the same. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening and/or viewing Joey Pins' Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources, and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media: Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information video version of our podcast is on youtube please subscribe audio is on all major podcasting platforms please follow them and if you like it please consider giving five star rating would really appreciate that would you like to financially support the podcast you can go to our patreon site consider five ten or twenty dollars a month there's all kind of plans that we have there There's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pins Discipline Conversation.